Are you looking to expand your team? Well, look no further than Indeed. Indeed.com is the number one job site in the world because Indeed gets you the best people fast. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. Plus, Indeed provides powerful tools to make your search that much easier. With 73% of online job seekers visiting Indeed each month, Indeed is going to get you the hire you need, just like they have for over 3 million businesses. Right now, Indeed is offering SPQ listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job posts, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com SPQ. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com SPQ. Terms and conditions apply. Offer valid through September 30th, 2020. Working with Ayana was like talking to a friend, but not just any friend, a friend who really understands how to grow an online business. She was easy to talk to and very relatable. Ayana was also quick on her feet. She effortlessly provided creative ideas and solutions where I was completely drawing a blank. I gained so much information that I did not have before, such as how to come up with creative content for my website and repurpose content. That's just a few words from Rickland regarding her experience with a Pick My Brain session with me. And if you are on the fence about whether to book your Pick My Brain session or not, hopefully this just gives you a little insight as to what the experience may be like. You can head over to switchpivotorquit.com today and book your session with me. Hey girl, hey, and thanks for dropping in to the Switch, Pivot, or Quit podcast. Candid convo for the girl needing a lifestyle plot twist when she's deciding if it's time to switch, pivot, or quit. I'm a y- Have you ever logged into your online banking account only to find out that it's closed? That's what happened to me when I signed up for my first business banking account. I bet you can see why I'd be interested in Aslo, a banking platform made for small businesses. Instead of the days or weeks it takes to apply for an account at a traditional bank where you're still required to go in in person, with Aslo, you just go to azlo.com and apply in as little as 10 minutes and there is no waiting to use your account. With Aslo's free instant funding feature, you can deposit up to $1,000 and access it in your account instantly. I recommend signing up now because Aslo was created for us, giving us one less worry regarding our money. Sign up right now with no minimum deposit at azlo.com, aslo.com slash SPQ, and get a free copy of Aslo's Small Business Starter Guide, spelled azlo.com slash SPQ, and sign up with a free Small Business Starter Guide and no minimum deposit, aslo.com slash SPQ. Anna Angel, a former sports entertainment publicist in New York City, turned traditionally published author with Simon & Schuster, who quit my old life to write a book, live in London for a bit, and explore my dreams to find my happiness and fulfillment. I'm here to help encourage and guide you through your plot twist years as your chief encourager and host of the Switch, Pivot, or Quit podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes if you have enjoyed listening to this podcast so far. And check out switchpivotorquit.com for even more personal and professional development resources. But for now, 
Just sit back, open your mind, and enjoy the show. The careers are cool, but the women behind them are even cooler. In this series, Cool Careers, I'm fortunate enough to chat with impressive women who have careers that you may be familiar with and some you may not. They're giving us a look inside their world and sharing what it takes to make it in their specific industry. So get ready to keep up with the cool. On today's episode, we're chatting with Beatrice Fischel Bach, CEO and co-founder of Hutch, which is an interior design app that allows you to redesign your space with a few swipes of your phone. Beatrice launched Hutch, formerly known as Zoom Interiors, in 2012 during her final year at George Washington University after coming to the realization that interior design was an untapped resource in the technology sector. She soon began virtually designing her friend's apartments, earning her $1 million in revenue while still in school. Shortly following graduation, Beatrice appeared on Shark Tank to pitch the concept, marking the beginning of her startup journey. Her 2016 TEDx talk focused on how to fail fast, fix fast, and learn fast, a mantra that she has carried through the trenches of the startup world. In July of 2017, she closed a Series A funding round for $10 million from real estate platform Zillow, raising a total of $17 million or more, actually, in funding to date. Beatrice was also named one of 2018's Forbes 30 Under 30 for retail and e-commerce. She has a wealth of knowledge, so I really wanted you to hear from someone who has been in the tech space, on the entrepreneurial side, on the developing side, the CEO side, all that good stuff. She has a wealth of knowledge, so I hope that you enjoy this conversation. Welcome to the show, Beatrice. So excited to have you on and to chat with you. Thank you. Excited to be here. Thank you for having me on. Yes. So... Your business and your brand of Hutch has reached massive success on the business side with development, users, and funding. Can you share with us a bit about your background and um, how the business sort of originated and what your current role is? Yeah, absolutely. So it it feels like it's evolved so many times, which it has, (laughs) and and we've iterated so many times um, and almost daily my role kind of changes and shifts depending on what the company needs mm-hmm. uh, and I think that's one of the biggest things about an entrepreneur and having a company is that you have to be really good at uh, rolling with the punches which as a type a person that I am that I think a lot of entrepreneurs are it can be kind of hard to get into that zone of like you can only plan for so much and you just kind of have to accept the roller coaster and and those expectations right. and that even applies to funding right like a most of our funding didn't come from a very strategic plan. It came out of random opportunities and, and weird like occurrences and not, I don't want to say state, but really it was just, mm-hmm. it was out of just opportunities that came mm-hmm. from being open to change and, and that kind of thing. Right, right, right. And so what is your, what is your, what do you feel like your primary like responsibility is day to day within Hutch? So as the CEO, I think my responsibility, I think I know my responsibility <laughs> is a lot of the millions of questions, the hard, the 
not the hardest part, but one of the tough things is that there's always an option and you never know which is the best option. And mm. it's kind of, um, it's always kind of making a, a concession, I like to say, because nothing's ever 100% clear to right. be in that direction. If it is, that's a lucky chance. But most of the time you're kind of like, okay, you get, I get mo- my whole day is meetings. My whole day is kind of saying, being the one who makes the executive decision on my gut, my instinct on things that aren't very clear. So mm. you can, we can do, we can push this ad. The downside is that this ad is going to have less of this type of audience, or it might be a little more expensive, but it's going to have a better click through rate, or we're going to do, and I'm just giving an example from three minutes before the phone call, mm-hmm. <laughs> or we can do the other ad, which will be better for our brand, but maybe not get us to the end of our KPI funnel, like, and actually get the purchases, but it'll show better. So then I'm saying, okay, which one do we do right now? And there's mm-hmm. no clear answer, right? They, there's, they're, both of them could be right. And you kind of just have to hope that you have the right instincts. Right, right. So, you know, it's so funny. I just had someone on and um, she broke off from corporate world and started her own thing. And she said that one of the main things that she had to do, or I guess one of her big hurdles was start realizing that she was a CEO. Now it's a bit different for her because she's more so working in a smaller capacity. You have a lot more like staff and everything like that. But was it, was it, at all intimidating for you or a little bit like, Oh gosh, what am I getting myself into when you realize you were the CEO of this company? Yeah. It's interesting timing that you're saying that because that's kind of what's been happening to me for whatever reason, the last couple of weeks, mm. <laughs> <laughs> I think for us, we're very seasonal and spring is really when things heat up mm. and uh, we've just pushed a newer version of our product and something that I actually was my passion. And I led this, this product through mm. um, and kind of, yeah, realizing taking a step back and saying like, okay, so CEO, when I was, I guess when I was more of a newbie, I was a lot more about like, well, what does everyone else think? And then I would try to fit product decisions based off of where, how can I get everyone's opinion included? Mm. But what I started to realize is that it feels unfocused to the, our customer because it is unfocused because it's not a very unified vision, right? It's the concession to everyone being happy. And you realize that that's the reason for a CEO is that they have to be the unified vision. And you really have to own that. And I find that it's harder for women to have the confidence to own that. Um, And, you know, I wish I had figured this out sooner, but it is what it is. um, Yeah, it's really about being confident in your decision making because it really shows if you're not having one person leading the, the way. Right, right. And you mentioned that it is difficult for women to sometimes sort of take on that ownership and that role. Do you have any thoughts about like why that might be? Yeah, absolutely. I think um, there's just very deep rooted societal issues that we've had since the beginning of time. Mm. Um, And I think we, I don't think it's actually a bad thing. I don't like the idea of like women should be more like men and then it'll be, you know, an even playing field. (laughs) I think that having a little bit less arrogance and ego around your decision-making is actually a good positive thing. Right. Um, and being confident about the fact that that is what you bring to the table. You bring a little bit more collaboration, maybe as women, you think a little bit more about the decisions you're making, which can slow you down, but also there's some positives there. Um, really what it, I mean, the imposter syndrome is 
a hundred percent what yeah. I think most of us deal with, right? And it's just constantly, no matter what you've proven to yourself, you're always questioning, mm-hmm. well, I shouldn't really be here. And it's, I feel like, and obviously this is not a fact, but men seem to not have as much issue with that. Right. Um, They're like, I deserve to be everywhere. <laughs> I deserve to be here. And there's been a very interesting study done and a statistical study saying men at a huge percentage, when something goes right, attribute it to themselves. And when something goes wrong, they attribute it to the team and their circumstances. And women are the exact opposite. When something goes right, they attribute it to their team and circumstances. And when it goes wrong, they take all the blame. Mm. Um, And I don't think either one is the right way to be. That's why I think it's, it's so important to be, have equality and to have all voices at the table, because it is interesting that we all come from different places and angles. And um, yeah, there's not one better way, but we have to all be represented. Right. Absolutely. Do you remember the moment when you knew that what you were doing was working or maybe you had a thought to yourself like, oh, this, this is a thing and this could be big. Do you remember any of those moments? Uh, maybe not. I feel like I still haven't had that moment because you're really? so inundated <laughs> with the day to day. It's really hard to take a step back and be like, whoa, look at what I've done. Maybe it's yeah. just hard for me, but it's always because you're always thinking about the next fire and the next thing that's because nothing's ever smooth sailing, right? And people right. say it is or lying. It's just, it's not. <laughs> um, and so you are kind of stuck in all the non-smoothness. Mm. And it's really hard for you to take yourself out of that. And I, a lot of my, my mom and my mother-in-law and like older women are always saying to me, like, just make sure you take a moment and realize what's going on and don't be so caught up in it. Mm. Easier said than done, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Because there will come a day where everything might end up being like this haze and you'll have accomplished a lot. And, and then you won't really remember like the little things within the time period exactly. to kind of hold on to. So I, yeah, I understand why they say it, but I, I'm with you. Like when it's hectic, you know, it's like, I can't think about that right now. I can't wait. You know, you just go, go, go. So I'm with you. Definitely. Exactly. Yeah. Do you think that you have any core traits or strengths that have maybe served you well in the capacity that you operate in now and have contributed maybe to your, the professional woman that you are today? Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, one, I've always been called very bossy, <laughs> which has always been negative <laughs> and people have used it against me negatively, but I think that's exactly what I need to be yeah. in this position. I'm very good at executing on things because I'm not, I kind of, I always have some sort of strategy in my mind mm. and because I'm bossy, because I'm, um, kind of like on top of everything, I just, just make it happen. Like there's no, I don't, I don't sit on things. I think that's really helped me. It's not, I don't want to say impulsive. Maybe sometimes it is, but it's veering on the impulsive rather than the too thoughtful where things don't actually get up and running. And it comes back, it ties back to the TEDx talk I did about fail fast, learn fast. I think people who are too thoughtful and I'm, you know, maybe that's not the right word, but if you go too slowly and you're too afraid of what will happen, you don't get to the next level. Um, And I just read a really, really good book quick read called the obstacle is the way and it talks about you know the failures and everything that that comes with that is part of your journey and trying to skip around it or trying to uh keep obstacles out of your way that's not how life works and by doing that you're not going to move forward right right I love that so you touched on your TED talk let's jump back into that real quick how was that experience for you um were you nervous were you like like terrified So I'm actually very shy, which is a big thing that I've had to learn in my position as for personal growth. I mean, I've had to learn so much because I didn't even have a business background. So 
I had to learn everything about business. I have to learn how to lead. But then uh, on a personal level, I'm very introverted and shy. And Mm -hmm. my role is the opposite of that. Right. Um, And a TEDx is the example for a shy person is a nightmare. Um, (laughs) But it's one of those things. And I'm learning that even with my podcast. I've done a ton now. But my first one, I was so nervous. And it kind of ruined my day just like getting ready for it. But once Mm -hmm. you do it once, twice, three times, it does truly get easier. And that's kind of like you have to face your fears. And I know it's like a cheesy thing, but it's true. And, um, I still, it's my only TEDx obviously, <laughs> um, but getting on stage and speaking is getting easier and easier as I go. Mm-hmm. And the first few times they've been pretty hellish, but you get through it. It's not, not anything yeah. you can't get through. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's just but intimidating. I know, I know, right? That you like your nerves will be driving you crazy, even probably until you actually get on stage. But I think there's this rush. Even on stage. Right, right, right. The hardest part is getting onto stage. So I can talk myself up of like, why do I really need to do this? Like, it's not yeah. whatever it is that I'm nervous about, but it's like part of this exercise, not even, not just getting that thing done, but it's actually helping me as a person to just yeah. get it done. Right. Yeah. It's just, it's just sort of like realizing what those fears and where that hesitation may come in, but then pushing yourself past it. Because like you said, you'll realize, Oh, it really wasn't that bad. And the more you do it, the more that gives you confidence in other areas of your life too. You're like, well, I did this. So maybe I can do that now. So yeah. Just exactly. And I think you always, as someone on the outside, you look into that, the people doing that or like looking at myself mm-hmm. and you always think, well, I just don't have the personality type for that. Mm. I can tell you, I don't have the personality type for that, <laughs> but I can still do it. And it's actually fine. And probably most people doing it are not anything special. It's right. just that they've done it and they've kind of just went for it. The Amelie Podcast is our sister podcast created and produced by Maisie Media. If you have not been checking out the Amelie Podcast, you've been missing out on some wonderful interviews with amazing women like entrepreneur and lifestyle YouTuber Patricia Bright, who has 2 million plus subscribers, okay? That is no small thing. As well as Ali Webb, who is the founder and creator of Drybar, the mega beauty brand that is in almost every city you touch in. And Myleek Teal, who is the creator of the first curly hair subscription box called Curlbox. Stay tuned for the end of this episode because you're going to get a special little never heard before snippet from Myleek's interview on the Amelie podcast. So you want to look out for that. All of these women have amassed a million plus in business, so they are definitely people that we can absolutely learn so much from. So I highly encourage you to go over to wherever you listen to podcasts, maybe where you're listening right now, type in Amelie, A-M-I-L-L-I in the search bar and subscribe and listen away and get your whole entire life, honey. So you touched on this and I want to circle back to this um, a, a little bit about leadership. You're responsible for not only a company and the operation of it, but also you have employees. Did you experience any type of learning curve in the area of leadership and just trying to take on that responsibility? Yes, every day. <laughs> um, the team is everything. And that's something that becomes more and more clear to me the, the more I hire incredible people Mm -hmm. um when you have an a plus team the sky's the limit and it's really about 
the difference between having to micromanage someone or like just have someone you're constantly trying to tell what to do to having someone that you respect, that you want, you know, they do something better than you, that you can just let them run with it, give them the resources they need. It's like pretty magical to see. And um, I finally feel like I'm at a place where I have that type of team around me. um, And we're continuing to find those types of people. Mm -hmm. But the, the team is everything. It can be detrimental but it can also be why you have success and win so navigating the funding world you you've done that and you you sort of touched on that as well um how would you describe it and um did it allow you to learn anything new about yourself yeah so i think i want to start with just saying that raising money is not necessarily a sign of success and i think that's kind of being lost right now um Uh the way someone said this to me and i thought it was a very interesting way of putting it Raising money is like celebrating having a mortgage. <laughs> mm-hmm. The only reason you're raising money is because you're not profiting for right. whatever reason. You're, you're new, you're spending too much, whatever it is, right. and you're giving up equity. And so it's it has turned into a very glamorous thing when actually it shouldn't be. <laughs> yeah, yeah. In my opinion, and this is coming from someone who raised a lot of money, um, it the, the experience definitely. I mean, like anything that <laughs> that I've been up to, as was very eye-opening and I learned a lot. And um, what I did is that every meeting after I was done, Mm -hmm. I would say, can I take a moment and ask for feedback? Because this is very new for me. Mm. And VCs, that's refreshing for them, I think, um, to just be able... And they would give me real feedback. And then every meeting was better and better each time because I had that mindset about them, which was like, I'm probably going to get a no because you get 100 no's before you get a yes. Right. But instead of all the 100 no's, it's kind of the obstacles, the way it comes back to that and fail fast, success, learn fast my whole mantra in life is that those no's at least get something out of it. What are you learning from that? So you failed because they said no, quote unquote, mm-hmm. you're going to fix it by preparing better for the meeting, by seeing wherever there were weak points. And then you're going to learn from what, however that went wrong. Um, mm-hmm. And I think using the, the raising money process as a learning experience is really, really important. Cause even if you don't end up raising money, the amount you can learn from these conversations with VCs who've seen it all before um, you have them sitting in front of you, you have their attention. Don't just pitch them, actually ask them their opinion, ask them questions and get the most out of that meeting beyond raising money. There's something someone told me when I started raising money and it's really held true. If you ask for money, you get advice. If you ask for advice, you get money. Okay. So there are a lot of people that are in this headspace, like you mentioned, who are thinking, I need to raise money. I want to, you know, have a startup and talk to us a little bit about what that looks like in terms of whether, when you're deciding whether you actually need funding or not, like what that process is, because there's probably people out there who are listening and thinking, Oh, I need to get funding because they've seen all the glamor behind the idea of funding. But they might not be taking into consideration some of the realities of their situation. And maybe they don't need funding. Can you talk to us a bit about sort of that kind of thought process? Yeah, absolutely. So I think um, my my advice is to be as hacky as possible for as long as possible. Mm. So if instead of, and it comes back to the over planning, like funding is planning, right? It's saying, okay, once I get this amount of money, I'm going to do X, Y, Z executing is starting right that second. It's not planning to get money. It's actually executing on what you can do now. Can you get one client without money? Can you get two clients without money? Can you hack together a website using Squarespace or Wix or whatever website you can for $100 a month? Can you do that stuff without money? 
because you might find that you can get further than you thought in the first place. And at least the most important thing that I found is that at least you're doing something. The planning is what kills you. Over planning, you just don't know how customers are going to react. You don't know if it's a good idea until you get it into people's hands, even if it's five people. What has the the customer acquisition process been like for you or even the approach to like deciding or figuring out who's my ideal customer? Because a lot of people uh, talk about, you need to find your ideal customer. I mean, I tell people that all the time, but I also find that some people are like, how the heck do I do that? I don't know. I don't know who it is. I know what I want to create and I know who I sort of think would be interested in it, but how do I actually go about finding them and getting in front of them? I'm clueless, you know, did you, did you have, was there any type of experience that you had with that, that maybe you could share that would maybe help somebody else? I mean, complete transparency. We're still figuring it out five years later. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. That's good to know. Peace. Um, Especially for us in tech, tech evolves so much. And actually what's interesting about that, that I'm learning is that our demo, which used to be five years ago, it was only millennials who would ever even think about using something like what we have. Mm-hmm. But because everyone, including older generations, are getting techier, suddenly you're watching your demo actually get kind of older now because mm-hmm. they're willing to try this when they weren't willing to try it before. So it's this ever-going process of figuring out your demo and how to market to them. I don't have any secret formula. I don't think anyone <laughs> really does. Right. Um, it's trial and error. It's looking at kind of what we do is we call as many customers as we can for user feedback. We bring users into the office. Mm. Um, when we do Insta, uh, when we do Facebook ads, you can set certain audiences and then we kind of like test them against each other. And it's actually can be a really cheap way of finding your audience as like a real thing to do today. Cause that's always been my theme. Mm-hmm. You can do an ad for 20 bucks and you just, you might not even have the product available, but it's waitlisted or it's in beta or you say like it's coming soon mm-hmm. and you just see who's clicking on that ad. Mm-hmm. And that's your demo. Whoever was right. interested in whatever you're going to offer, even if you can't offer it yet, now suddenly you have a much clearer picture and it costs you 20 bucks a day for five days. Right, right. Yeah, that's, I think, you know what? That is a great hack and great advice for sure. For those who are unfamiliar, and I know I mentioned that you are the CEO of Hutch, but everybody may not know how Hutch works and operates. So can you give us a brief overview of just what it looks like, um, what the app is, what the program is, and how it sort of functions? Yeah. So right now, because it's ever-changing, our tagline is, we are your virtual decorator. Mm. We help you find the furniture you love and see it all together. Um, So the idea is, it's like a fitting room for your home. We're used to in stores and even at home when we order clothes online, we can try it all on. We can mix and match with what we have in our in our closet. We buy a little bit from Zara, a little bit from Topshop, a little bit from Forever 21, and we mix it all together. Right. That's become easy for us because fashion is a, mo- a lot more um, tangible experience. It's less expensive. It's easier to return, et cetera, et cetera. Home is really hard. You're not lugging in furniture in and out <laughs> all the time, right? So then you right. kind of count on just your imagination and your visualization abilities. And if you're a designer, it comes naturally to you like it does to me. But all my friends, it doesn't. They don't really get it in their heads, right? And you don't want to go to rooms to go and just buy like a whole room in one piece. Mm -hmm. And then you're opening like a a thousand websites. You don't know how they're all going to come together. Maybe you're all, you're dropping the photos into a Photoshop file and trying to make a mood board if you're even that savvy at that time. Right. Mm -hmm. Where is the easy way to mix and match all the furniture that's available out there 
see that it actually fits in your own space. You actually, you can, we render your own room and you're actually trying it all on before you click buy. And it's just one click checkout Mm. for all your favorite retailers, all our wholesalers, and it's all curated by us. So you're not sifting through junk. You're only sifting through the good stuff. Right. I love that. It just, it, it makes so much sense when you explain it like that, because like you said, who's really bringing in big end tables and things like that and saying, does this look right? Like not the average. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that makes a lot of sense. When you were younger, did you have aspirations of owning your own business? Not at all. (laughs) Uh, When I was younger, I wanted to be a vet. (laughs) I love animals. I have a lot of dogs in the office. Um, And then I realized that vets, means blood and <laughs> I was like nope um I didn't really know at all what I was gonna do until senior year of college when I started the company mm. with my co-founders um and it didn't come out of like oh I want to start a business it truly came out of like our friends keep asking us for help we were studying interior architecture and design we're like this is ridiculous no one actually knows how to buy furniture for themselves how is there no better options a 200 billion dollar industry right. this is insane um and so that kind of naturally came about looking back. I realized that it was always in me because of how bossy I am. And because, mm-hmm. I'm, <laughs> because I'm kind of, I, I can see why I should have realized that this was my route, but I didn't, I didn't know, honestly, like no one in my family was doing this kind of thing. I grew up not on the West coast where I think people are a little bit more in touch with the idea of entrepreneurship. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just, it came out of a business school competition and a real need to not business school, uh, uh, university business plan competition and uh, realized that there was actually a need. If you're not solving for a true problem, right. Not doing much. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Have you made any missteps um, along your journey and this whole entrepreneurial that maybe you later realized, okay, that was actually a good learning lesson. Uh, Over a million. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And it comes back to just being really reactive, being really self-aware Mm-hmm. missteps are part of the way the obstacle is the way but yeah. the one to where where you keep going is learning from it and getting something out of those missteps right. you can't really learn without making the mistakes and i think success comes from the mistakes turning into successes versus mistakes turning into more mistakes and and like more negativity that kind of thing Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So switching gears a bit, you seem to have such a, a hectic life and you're responsible for so much. Um, do you have any personal care habits or routines that maybe help you to stay balanced? Yes, it's so important. I have um, our one of our investors is the founders of Zillow, and he says that entrepreneurs should um, live the life of like an athlete preparing for a game mm. you want to be you know you, you don't want to be hungover ever <laughs> you want to mm-hmm. have a good night's sleep mm-hmm. you want to be feeling healthy and clear um there's so much stress and kind of like constant you have to be on your toes constantly because everything's coming at you 100 miles an hour in every direction right and it takes a toll obviously on your personal life because you really have to make a point to say like i'm gonna take care i'm gonna work hard and i'm gonna take care of myself and that leaves little uh, not as much room as you would like for other things my kind of formula right now at least has been meditation um trying to exercise and get outside in LA I'm very lucky that I can do that a lot it really makes a difference for me I just plug in some music and go on a hike go to the beach something like that right um and then I've just instated a new thing for myself which is I have to read 30 minutes a day before I go to sleep or turn on the tv because it kind of gets too easy to you're so exhausted at the end of the day you just want to put in 
a show and binge and just not think about anything. Yeah. But that's not healthy either. Right. Cause then you're just totally turning off. So I'm trying to hmm. change that up. But again, that's an ever going. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So my final cu- question to wrap things up, uh, you sort of touched on it, but uh, what does success mean or look like for you? For me on a personal level, success is being happy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I, you know, obviously I, I can't say that like I'm happy all the time, <laughs> I'm very stressed all the time, but right. I want to, I want to look back and say that I spent most of my life on the happier side rather than the, the sadder side. And on the business side, I hope to, but truly I'm from like a mission statement standpoint. I truly believe that people deserve to love where they live. It's something that's so important to me. I've seen it change people's lives. Like I have friends who I helped them design back in the day and they started, told me they make their beds now every day because it's actually a pleasure to wake up and it's your sanctuary. And I really, if we can bring more of that to more people who can't afford a designer or who don't want to go through that process, um, that'll be success. Mm-hmm. I love it. Thank you so much for spending time with us, B, and sharing all of your insight and just like, like really keeping it real with us. I really appreciate it. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. I think I, I don't think it's helpful when everyone's when it's all good and butterflies. Um, it's yeah. hard and everyone, everyone knows it's hard. <laughs> right. Um, and so I always like to keep it real. Yeah, yeah, I definitely appreciate that. And I'm sure that our listeners will as well. And for you guys out there listening, as always, keep killing it. Oh, you thought we were done? Let's get into this exclusive from Amelie. A million in sales, a million in revenue, a million followers, or a million in funding. To amass one million of anything is a major feat. And that's why we're highlighting women who have done just that. You'll hear from women who have made their mark impacted lives, blaze trails, and amassed a milli. A lot of people sometimes say like, oh, you know, don't tell too many people about your idea or don't tell anybody mm-hmm. or whatever, because maybe people might talk you out of it or, um, you know, you, they, they, people are just superstitious about things. What have you? Mm-hmm. Obviously you telling people about your idea benefited you in the way yes. that they were able to be a resource. So what are your thoughts on, sort of like having an idea and keeping it to yourself or um, not keeping it to yourself? I think you have to, you know, be careful when you have an idea, you should be careful who you tell. And hopefully you have really supportive people in your life um, that will encourage you, you know, so I had those two friends. So Kim being my best friend I had him but keep in mind he was the antagonist then I had somebody who was like this is this is the upside and then I ended up telling my neighbor across the street and she is the one who really kind of stayed on me like so when you're doing that you know you brought it up and she kind of just stayed on my head about it and I think that if you have the right people in your life um, they will push you forward. And then, you know, there's always going to be naysayers. There's always going to be people who are looking at your race with their legs. And you cannot let somebody give you advice on a race that they don't even have the wind to run. And so that was sort of like, and the, to this day, when I'm gauging comments or gauging somebody's opinion, I'm just like, 
I already know that they don't even, they don't have my stamina. They don't, they don't have the kind of wind that I have. So I always take it with a grain of salt, but you should be open to hearing the other side of it. And that was the the crazy thing is that my friend Ken, when he was telling me what the definite challenges were going to be, I'm glad that I did listen because that allowed me, I think that that has led to a bit of my success is that I was prepared for certain things before those things happened. What role has intuition played in your career or business? Oh gosh. Intuition has played such a huge role in my career because I think that it has sort of like led me, uh, it has led me this far. It's like, it's the, it's the thing that I lean on the most when I get stuck. And, and even if my intuition may fail me or, or steer me, it's just like, you know what, it's always the right thing to do, you know, whatever I lean on it. I'm like, you know what, maybe that wasn't, that looks like a missed opportunity today, but I know that it's not in the long run. To hear more, search for Amelie wherever you listen to your podcast. And this episode featured Myleek Teal. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Access and Opportunity, a podcast from Morgan Stanley. Women and entrepreneurs of color traditionally have a hard time accessing capital to start or grow their businesses. Join Vice Chairman Carla Harris as she introduces us to the dynamic investors, entrepreneurs, policymakers, and others working to close the funding gap for these entrepreneurs. Listen and subscribe to Access and Opportunity on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Access and Opportunity, a podcast from Morgan Stanley. Women and entrepreneurs of color traditionally have a hard time accessing capital to start or grow their businesses. Join Vice Chairman Carla Harris as she introduces us to the dynamic investors, entrepreneurs, policymakers, and others working to close the funding gap for these entrepreneurs. Listen and subscribe to Access and Opportunity on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.